Katie, why don't you introduce our guest? Because oh. we've got an incredible, incredible episode ahead. Goodness, we are so blessed to have Jerry Schizero. And I will tell you that she is an author of one of my favorite books that I'm reading for the second time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But let me just read her bio to you, and then we will just get to hear straight from her. She is the co-founder of both a local church and a global ministry. She and her husband, Pete, started New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York, where they still live and minister to this day. But eight years into that church plant, Jerry had had enough. She was exhausted, felt like a single parent to her four daughters, and simply stated, I quit. Out of that huge turning point in her life was born a ministry that has helped millions around the globe find emotionally healthy spirituality. That's the name of the ministry which Pete and Jerry started. And today, multiple books, DVDs, workbooks, teaching conferences are available to anyone who wants to be free from what they are starting to realize is a superficial, inauthentic spirituality. If you've ever thought, I can't keep pretending everything is fine when you know it's not, (laughs) you will want to lean in to this story. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, the book that I have read a couple (laughs) times is called The Emotionally Healthy Woman, subtitled Eight Things You Have to Quit to Change Your Life. (laughs) Um, And because we believe stories change lives, I want to tell you all that Jerry's story changed mine. And I, I mean that. So I was so excited when she agreed to come on here and share her story in the hopes that some of what she could share would change your life too. So Jerry, mm. thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah you're, wel- you're welcome. Um, the timing seems uh, non-coincidental. I mean, in terms of what uh, things are going on in terms of uh, race, um, because emotionally healthy, we really could not do racial reconciliation without emotionally healthy discipleship. That's right. So let's get into it. I love love it, it. Sherry. And I can't wait to get into the heart of what you talk about in your book. But for our listeners' sake, let's do a little background on on your Mm -hmm. story first. So just a little bit about how you grew up and how you met Pete and your early marriage. Um, actually, I grew up on the ocean in New Jersey, so I am an ocean. My soul expands whenever I'm near water, on water, in water. And But I've lived in New York City for 35 years. Um, <laughs> but uh, grew up on the ocean and moved uh, in college, met my husband. Uh, and actually, we knew one another. Uh, we actually became followers of Christ around the same time. So we grew up spiritually together uh, with a group of other students that kind of, you know, a little revival at our college. Many of us came to commitment to Christ and uh, grew up spiritually together. And we actually knew each other and were good friends for eight years before we fell madly in love. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I love that. We love love stories. We're hopeless romantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you married, but but tell us about the honeymoon in those first right. years. Well, you know, so I fell in. <clears throat> we were both um, in. I'm trying to think. You know, he was in seminary at the time, um, and I was with staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's a campus mm. ministry. And, um, you know, we, we'd gotten engaged and decided that we wanted to learn Spanish uh, as soon as we got, after we got married, and he, as soon as she finished seminary, so that, because he had a vision. My husband had a vision <laughs> to move to New York City and plant a church. And this is way before the popularity of church planting. Um, and so I was... I I followed his vision. I was in love with Pete and Pete had a vision to move to New York city, but we first decided that we should move to, we should spend a year in central America learning Spanish because that would really help, uh, you know, double our ministry impact. Now uh, we really need to know about 
50 languages. I mean, our church has over 75 nations in it. Oh. I wish I knew Chinese. And I was going to try, but someone said to me, uh, another, a Chinese man said to me, forget it, you're over 50. <laughs> 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 so that's discouraging. But my granddaughter is speaking Chinese because she oh. was living in Brooklyn and, you know, at school was... Mm-hmm. Uh, had Chinese immersion. So that's, it's, it's exciting. Wow. Um, and Caribbean cooking and all the rest that kids mm-hmm. get in Brooklyn. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, we married, we moved to Central America. Five months later, we moved to Central America, moved in with a family of 10 children. So the honeymoon was very quickly over. The family spoke no English. We spoke no Spanish. And so began... Um, a very, a hardship, a lot of hardship the next 10 years. But there was even hardship, I think, before that in my Christian life, because if you don't know what's, if you're not in touch with who you are on the inside, your spirituality is going to be difficult and superficial. Mm-hmm. 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 Wow. wow. That's good. That's and wasn't, good. wasn't, um, wasn't that country kind of dangerous when you were down there, Jerry? And it kind of crazy? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, the country, it wasn't necessarily. Uh, it was uh, Costa Rica, but it was on the border of Nicaragua. And my husband, being a visionary, said, hey, we should visit Nicaragua. It was just at the tail end of their civil war. Because when else are we going to get to visit a country in the middle of a civil war? Right. And dummy me uh, agreed to it. And uh, so off we went. And to this uh, horrible trip, <laughs> I mean, the bus ride alone, I really thought I was going to die. And the bus had broken down. It, the guy left us in the middle of nowhere. He had hopped on a truck and said, um, you know, adios. Uh-huh. And so there I was, six months pregnant in the middle of nowhere in Central America. That's a story for another time. I, yeah. And I remember reading that story oh, on my. the edge of my chair, like, What? Yeah. What? And that was that was just the beginning of the roller coaster. Ride. Exactly. Wow. And and it, people uh-huh. you can read Jerry's book to get the rest of that story. It was crazy. Right. But right. so then you you go plant this church in New York City in Brooklyn. Right. So well no no Queens. Queens, Queens, so Queens, Queens, yeah. Queens. I'm Queens sorry. Is, that's okay. Queens is one of the five boroughs. And it's actually the center of all the boroughs. So we're connected to Bronx and Brooklyn. And, um, and then we're across from Manhattan and then Staten Island kind of sticks out over there. But uh, yes, yeah, so we, and we um, again, I married a visionary. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> no problem moving to us, you know, and starting a church in a city of millions with no people and no money. Mm. Okay? And no personality inventories either. Right? At, least <laughs> now, <laughs> at least now church planters are put through rigorous Right. Sure. Not that they always work. I still meet a lot of unhealthy church planners. Mm-hmm. But um, we, yeah, so we moved to New York City and he, we basically, it was, a, it was what you call a scratch church plant. I mean, we were doing evangelism on the streets. But wow. one of the key things was he, he was able to get his foot hold, in a sense, in a, a hospital. And that hospital is Elmhurst Hospital, which was the epicenter of the uh, COVID-19 wow. you know, a couple months ago. That's where you saw, you know, trailers outside with bodies. It was the epicenter. And that's where our church began. My husband got uh, his foot in the door to do a Bible study there with doctors, nurses, admin, and people started coming to Christ. And that formed the foundation of our church. Wow. Cool. I didn't know that part of this story. That is cool. Imagine that starting a church with people getting saved. Please forgive my snark <laughs> snarkiness. I love that. Isn't that what we were called to? I love yeah. that so much. Yeah. So um, we yeah, the church was launched, and <clears throat> um, I so I'd like to also tell a story. When we launched our church, we had oh no, when we moved to New York City because we came home from Central America. And my husband got home. He came a month after me. I had to, I had to fly, uh, you know, by eight months or I wasn't going to be able to fly to get home to have a baby in the States. So I flew home and he got home the night before she was born. We had her a month later, found a place in the Times, moved to New York City, started planning this church. 
So daughter number one, we moved to New York City. Daughter number two, we started the church plant. Daughter number three, we started the Spanish plant. And daughter number four, we fell apart. So uh, anyway, we started the church plant with daughter number one and then daughter number two, daughter number three. And, you know, so days, months, years are passing, but it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. Um, And I began to think, I didn't didn't sign up for this. Mm -hmm. We're going 24-7. And we took Mondays off. We took one day off, uh, but it wasn't a day off. It was like collapse. Right. Take the kids to the park. And so mm-hmm. um, after a couple of years, I said to him, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And I wasn't always very clear about it because mm-hmm. I would say my, I, I really felt like I was supposed to be superwoman, being, mm-hmm. a, being a Christian, being a pastoral spouse, mm-hmm. that I should be super Christian and I should be doing these things. And uh, so I would let him know of my unhappiness, mostly through passive aggressive behavior, you know, uh, silent treatment, snarkiness, you know, slamming, uh, slamming cabinet doors or not being there when he got home because we're mm. at the park, you know, or whatever. So, <clears throat> but finally, uh, I did try to keep getting his attention. So I don't know how I can do this because it was... We just, we had a lot of people coming to us. We did. The church was growing and that's what was confusing. The church was growing. People were coming. I mean, people were coming to faith. People were getting healed. Um, We were winning the world literally because very diverse people from, you know, Queens is the most ethnic spot on the planet. Wow. And, uh, and our, town our church where our church is the most ethnic spot in Elmhurst I mean in Queens so we were winning the world but losing our souls Mm -hmm. and so now we uh, one year had turned into three and three had turned into five and five had turned into seven and we were just you know we were maxed out Uh, a lot of staff turnover lots of conflict and I finally I'd wanted to quit many times I just was too ashamed to I don't want to rock the boat Right. I don't want people mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want them to think we have trouble in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to make a long story short, <laughs> I finally, I kind of went into a depression because I lost so much of myself. I, I, and I, I lost a lot of my, I lost so much of myself. I didn't recognize myself anymore. And I, I, when I say I lost myself, it meant that I, I was just wasn't, you know, you lose yourself when you're not being truthful. Right. And, and, and suppressing, and I had suppressed. So when you suppress emotion or depress emotion, you become, it becomes a depression. And so it resulted in a depression and all my depressions really have had silver linings because they're really lights that are going on saying something is not right. Yes. (laughs) And so I, uh, I got to a place in the depression where I was like, you know what, I don't even care what anybody thinks anymore. And so I went to him and I said, you know, honey, this church no longer brings me life. I'm so tired of the nonsense. I said, it brings me death. Church mm. doesn't bring me death. I quit. I'm going to another church. And that's what Wow. <laughs> Jerry. When I read that part of your story, I'm like, whoa. There are people Literally, right now just going their mouths are just open you can do that (laughs) because didn't pete say you can't quit i'm the head pastor (laughs) well not only that he comes from an italian mafia family (laughs) 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 women you know where women don't do those things now and i will say i mean my husband had great theological training etc etc he he was pro women in ministry etc 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 but again, if you don't have awareness of what's going on inside of you, you can believe all you want in your head. But if it doesn't match uh, your unconscious shadow, then you're going to be living out of a different place. So although he believed, you know, it, in, uh, you know, women in ministry and our, our equality as a couple, et cetera, et cetera, wasn't quite really, you know, living into that. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and, anyway. and you were just exhausted because you felt like you had to do everything, right, Jerry? 
like entertain at the drop of a hat and take care of all your neighbors and give people rides everywhere. And yeah, I mean, church planning is no small thing. And any yeah. of you out there are, it's like starting a business and in any, any kind of startup, of course, there's so much you have to put out in the beginning, you know, hundreds of hours, et cetera. Uh, but you, again, if you're not in touch with your interior person and what's motivating uh, your behavior, then if you you know, then it's just drivenness and it's drivenness for the wrong reasons. Sure. And so, um, yeah, so we had, yeah, we had, had no understanding of limits, no understanding of boundaries, no understanding of self-care. Wow. And it was a recipe for disaster, sure. but it was a crash that led us to such an amazing, uh, transformation and another conversion. Wow. Tell us about that. Tell us about the turning point after you saying, I quit. Right. How so I quit. Yeah. So I said to, um, I started going to another church okay. and uh, we were going, you know, so and you know, we were going to the different, oh, he was going to his church and people didn't necessarily miss me because we had a couple of services. So it's not like, you know, I know that people look for the pastor's spouse and where they're sitting and what they're wearing, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But um, so I wasn't necessarily missed yet. And, but just between the two of us, we realized just logistically, uh, it wasn't practical, like who's taking what kids to what church. Sure. And, and then beyond that, we knew that we had to make some decisions about our future. Uh, and because our decisions were going to affect a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't remember how many our church was. I mean, our church at that point might've been 300 but when you're a church plant you know you go from zero to 300 it's like 5,000 so but of course you know anyway so we just knew that we had to get some help and we did get help we got referred to some very wise mentors who were actually were also therapists and so we just we decided we should go away um to get this help to make these decisions and really I was going away to fix the church, to fix my kids, to fix the people in the church, mostly, you know, fix New York City. And my husband was going away to fix me. So <laughs> anyway, we, we went away and um, we had, we just had such an, a new revelation. And like I said, we call it our second conversion. Yes. Experience with Christ, very deep, that would impact our lives and millions around the world. <laughs> and I was just going to say, and not just your lives, but when God changes your life, you get so excited to help help other people find yeah. change that is going to be life-giving to them. And right. so really out of that turning point was was born this whole emotional, emotionally healthy spirituality uh, ministry that you guys have around the world, right, Jerry? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was. Yes. But our, goal, you know, our, our goal wasn't to change the world. Our goal is just to change ourselves. And if you Amen. change yourself, you will change the world. But oh, see, wow. to me, that I love that because it's so authentic. It's so real. It's not like, oh, I have this plan that I'm going to tell other people about. No, it's God had a plan for me. <laughs> and it brought yes, so much yes. healing and joy and life. And, and mm-hmm. his plan isn't for me to be like the Dead Sea, pour all right. this wisdom into me, and then that's it. It's for my it's life so and my enjoyment. And I love that you and Pete, obviously, you got that. You were beautiful church planners already. But let's pour out now all this wisdom that you guys gained through a very mm-hmm. hard time. Yes. Yeah, and I would call us foolish church planters <laughs> because you know we had a lot of zeal we had yeah. so much zeal I mean who does that who does that you know who moves to New York City with no people no money and starts planning a church mm-hmm. but zeal uh without wisdom is dangerous wow that, and, a, and Jerry this is such a minor part of it I know but we got a lot of women listening that, especially a lot of military wisdom, women mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. every two years they get a new house, yes. a new town, a new environment. Yes. When I was reading about those first years of you in a railroad, a railroad apartment mm-hmm. in the heart of the inner city, and you're an ocean 
loving girl yes, and you yes. love nature and you love and and when I was reading that the freeway was like right behind your apartment with all this loud noise and you got four babies and oh my heart was like yes yes okay yeah, right yeah it's very difficult and you know once I began to we began to get healthy healthy um <clears throat> emotionally and spiritually I I realized like, wow, I'm, I'm in a real, I'm in a place that doesn't bring me life in terms of I'm, I'm, I'm a nature, mm. love the outdoors space kind of person. But, um, and I had, I had chosen to go to New York in, in some ways, you know, it wasn't, we just, we didn't do it appropriately. You really, mm-hmm. you need a discernment process for those kinds of big decisions. Sure. And so, but now that I was learning and growing in wisdom and recognize I have choices, I've yes. nobody nobody's uh, shackling me down to live in New York City. And so I, so repeatedly throughout our 35 years in New York, I say to myself, do I, do I still want to be here? Just, you know, do I want to be here? Because again, I mean, God, it's God, I don't separate God from how I am, what's my own joy, my own thoughts, my own feelings. It's, it's very much integrated. So, um, but, you know, God continued to come to me and through me uh, that, no, I, I, I chose to stay in New York City mm-hmm. and I chose it. I didn't have to. And we made lots of, um, we make lots of allowances for me to get my, to nurture those needs of mine for the outdoors. Right, right. Because you chose to stay in New York City, obviously, because you had an amazing ministry, an amazing husband, but you made healthy choices Correct. to, to, to be true to who you were too, but, and that, and that's that book, the emotionally healthy woman, mm-hmm. woman, the things we need to quit. If it, let's jump into that because yes, yes, you yes. list eight things in that book that yes. if you want to be emotionally healthy, mm-hmm. here's eight things you need to quit. And I, um, when I was, I was talking to my sister this morning about getting to interview you and about your book and everything. And I said, what I love about Jerry authorship or, writing style or whatever you want to call it. You are straight to the point. <laughs> you are very clear and, um, and you offer simple stories to kind of flesh out those. Now, obviously we don't have time to go in depth of all eight, but right. can we touch on all eight? And if, if any, we can go in depth about, um, Sure. Or, yeah. I'll say something, you know, but, but you better tell, how much time do we have? So I know then how quickly to go. We are doing well. We're about halfway through our window. So we have another about 20, 25 minutes. Okay. 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 That's helpful. And so what I'll do is I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'll share briefly about each one. And then you uh, ladies can, you know, tell me then which one you want to go back and unpack a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I love it. But, I love it. Yeah. <clears throat> and so after I had that experience in uh, with these ther- mentor therapists, of real okay, here's what happened uh, in my time with them is the here's the revelation. It was such a painful revelation. It was I was the problem. Wow. I was the problem. In other words, I mean, and my husband would say, you know, he was the problem. In other words, we were both taking responsibility. It wasn't the church. Right. It wasn't uh, each other. It, it wasn't the kids. It wasn't the people in the church. Um, and that's a really painful revelation. Mm. Like there were a lot of things inside of Jerry Scazzaro that needed to change. And the reason it was so painful was because I said, wait a minute, I've been following Christ for like 17 years. And I've been a leader since like really since almost day one mm-hmm. in the church. And you're now telling me that I've been missing on you know, I'm talking to God. I'm, I have sacrificed for you a lot. And I've been doing this and we've been through so much hardship. And now you're telling me that all this time, I didn't really get the gospel. Wow. I didn't get the gospel because the gospel is that. Um, so anyway, this led me to say, I have some real heart searching to do. Like what, what went wrong in my discipleship? Because we were poster kids for evangelical discipleship back then, best seminaries, best discipleship, evangelism, Bible study, fasting, prayer, worship, sharing our faith. We did it all. I mean, I mean, you know, I shared students soapbox in Times Square. 
So anyway, it was quite a moment for me to have to uh, do some heart searching and realize why, what, why did I put up with this nonsense so long? Mm-hmm. What, where were the gaps, et cetera? And so my very first I quit revealed a, a core belief, a, a core, no, a core reality for me was that, that the reason it took me so long to quit the church and all the nonsense and stop pretending everything was fine when it wasn't was because I was afraid of what other people would think. Yeah. That's the core of who I was. Mm-hmm. In other words, I got my okayness from you. Right. If you were okay with me, I was okay with me. Mm-hmm. And the reason this first I quit is so important is because if this is your identity, if your identity does indeed come from outside of you, <clears throat> then you're definitely doing all the other quits. I mean, you're lying, you're dying in the wrong picture, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I realized that I had, I was not really anchored in the love of God in a very real way. And so I said to myself, holy smokes, like, all right. And I said to God, I'm going to test this tomorrow. I'm going to start testing this tomorrow. And one of the ways I began to test it was I'm going to be honest in every conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And it was scary. Um, It was scary. The only reason I'm laughing is because we all get that. Even though... You know, and listeners, some of you are like, wait, I thought Christians were always honest. Yeah, so we'll, 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 yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that. Good, but, yes, yes. Yeah. But like, in other words, when, when you're, if you're getting your okayness from other people, like I'm okay with me, if everybody else is okay with me, if they're not mad at me, or what are they thinking about me, um, then I'm not, then I, I think I have something to prove. But the gospel is this, the gospel is that I already am good enough. God has loved me, given himself to me. He's demonstrated, showed it in so many ways. I have nothing left to prove. But I would say most believers don't live like that. Most of us do live like we have something to prove. I mean, and every day is a challenge for me to be, you know, check, to be reflecting on my heart and where my behavior is coming from. Mm. So uh, I say to people, you tell me about your yes and your no's. You tell me about your silences or your speaking up. You know, you tell me uh, about, you know, where your okayness comes. And then I will tell you whether or not you really believe the gospel. Oh, my goodness. Is that powerful? And that's just number one, ladies. (laughs) Well, again, you know, um, yeah, I, I had no idea really how much my identity was based on being perceived as a strong, loving, secure, happy person. Like, just be happy. Yeah. Be happy, yeah. you know? The joy yeah. of the Lord is my strength. Right. And um, so, <clears throat> yeah, it was, uh, oh. it was scary. And I remember crying, sitting on the couch crying, uh, with my husband, because that first day when I began to be honest in every conversation, it was it was like walking on a tightrope with no net underneath. I felt so vulnerable, so right. scared. Uh, yet, but God came to me and He says, He said, the, "The gospel is your net. There's a net under you. You, it's the gospel. I love you. You know, there's nothing to prove. You already are loved. That's the mm-hmm. that's and that's what we all live for, right? We are all living to know ultimately that we're loved." That's in the final analysis of everything. Um, It's that. But to live into that is a different story. Mm -hmm. And I remember particularly one of your examples, Jerry, and I might be skipping ahead, but I think it relates to this, where people would ask you for rides after you'd been at church all morning long. And in your heart, you were exhausted and you wanted to get your babies home and and yet you felt like, well, they'll be unhappy with me if I say no. And the Christian thing to do is to say yes. And I'm the pastor's wife and I, d- I have to give them a ride home. So you'd spend an hour driving. Right. I'm sorry. The Christian thing is to lie. No. 
right? Like the Christian thing is to say, oh, I'd love to give you a ride home. When the honest response would be, you know what? I can't do that right now. I'm exhausted. But yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So that brings us to the next quit. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. 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 So quit lying. I mean, I didn't think I was a liar. You know, I was raised to, like you ladies, not to lie. I lied like Oh, um, no. I, I lied, oh, there she um, is. Again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, are you okay? Can you hear me? Okay. Yep, yeah. I lied again with my yeses. I, I said yes so many times when I wanted to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I said I lied with my silence. I didn't speak up in conversations where I disagreed, but I didn't want them to think I was disagreeable. The image is crazy, right? <laughs> I don't want to be perceived as a disagreeable person or how might they perceive me if I disagree with them. So silence. I lied with my body. You know, you you hug people you don't want to hug, especially as a pastoral spouse. And, uh, you know, remember, Judas lied with his body. Mm. He kissed Christ. It was not an authentic kiss. And um, so I lied to myself. I lied. I, I I didn't want to admit I was sad, hurt, angry disappointed. I was pretending everything was fine when it's not. I lied to my husband. I didn't even want him to know I was angry. Um, and I also, I obviously, I lied to God. I mean, I was, it was such an illusion that, well, if I don't admit these things, maybe they're not real. Uh, and then if I don't admit them, maybe, you know, they're not real to God. But anyway, yeah, all quite, uh, quite an illusion. Um, but yes, so, so to your point, Katie, things like, um, Jared, can you give me a ride home? Sure. Jared, can you uh, take care of my kids? Sure. Uh, Jerry, can you take you know, this class on Sunday, even though I like, was up Saturday night with my kids? Sure. Uh, and to my husband, hey, honey, you know, we've got this person uh, coming to our church, you know, evangelist, can he stay at our house? Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's just lots of yeses, and they just, you know, they weren't true. Um, so anyway, I, I love the, this quote by Pope Paul John II, who says, truth and freedom go hand in hand, mm-hmm. truth and freedom. When one perishes, they both perish. Ooh. When one perishes, they both perish. So if you are not living in truth, you are not free. Oh my, that gives me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then should I keep going? Yes, okay, yes. Okay. Right. It's so then, rich. Then the next one is quit dying to the wrong things, which is so, uh, such a, again, a, a, a tragedy uh, for my, in my early Christian life, because my life verse was, um, you know, Mark eight thirty four. if any person will come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Problem is my life verse almost killed me. <laughs> and um because I, I misinterpreted it i misinterpreted it yeah. uh i interpreted it to mean i must always put others first i interpreted don't or, or don't express your preferences don't mm-hmm. feel certain emotions and i lived that old acronym some, some of you may remember j-o-y Jesus first, others second. I've taught it. I've taught it. We had it this Sunday in our sermon. Sorry, it's ridiculous because God isn't, um, you know, linear. Wow. And He says you can't love your, you can't love your, you can't love me if you don't love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And so, in other words, there's no separation between Jesus in the in in that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Oh, there can't be one without the other. And so I was loving my neighbor better than myself, not as myself. Mm. And so it's very key. I mean, really to the extent that you, the extent that you have a capacity to love and respect yourself is the capacity to which you will be able to love others. Oh my, oh my. I mean, that, that wisdom alone, Jerry, my, when I was young, my life first was consider one another as more important than yourself. Yes. And I was like, you totally took that, ran with it, even though around it, it says, don't merely look out for your own interests. Exactly. It did. It, that means you can look out for some of your own interests, mm-hmm. but I skipped by that one. And I said, you have to consider Mike is more important than you. If you want X, Y, Z, and he doesn't, too bad, Katie. 
And well, why couldn't he ever consider me more important than him? Well, maybe he doesn't have the same spiritual maturity. So I even patted myself (laughs) on the back for, and then felt morally superior when really I was misinterpreting it and dying inside. And things that brought me life, if Mike said no, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do them. And then I would get sadder and sadder. Anyway, so that one really spoke to me. Quit dying to things that bring you life that and yeah, so, quit trying to use scripture to say why you should yeah and women in particular need to hear self-care is never selfish it yeah, is never so selfish to think of oneself no it's selfish to think only of oneself yeah. amen um so um but here's the travesty the, the great travesty was although i was dying to all the things that to many of them and things that nurtured my soul um, for the sake of the kingdom of God, right? We're planning this church. We've got to keep pressing forward. We've got to meet everybody's needs. But at the same time, I wasn't dying to the things I needed to be dying to things like my defensiveness, Mm. my fear of vulnerability, my judgmentalism, my criticalness, my blaming, uh, my fear of weakness, my need to be right. (laughs) There was so much to die to. And here I was pouring my energy into the wrong things. And yet when I began to do self-care, so much life flowed into me. Then I had more energy to actually look at the things I needed to die to and really lean into dying to them. So you need energy and you need courage. So good. And I'm glad you highlighted that because we are not talking about selfishness and saying, I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, so I love that you clarified that. Oh my goodness. Give you more energy to die to what you really need to die to. Anyway, keep going. Yes. yes, Okay. So then I, I realized, um, I also, I had to quit. So I had to quit, um, dying to the wrong things. I also had to quit denying, uh, my certain emotions, certain, uh, Mm -hmm. in particular, for me, anger, sadness, and fear. But I mean, there's a whole host that I needed to quit denying. Because somewhere along the way, from my family of origin, and then another layer, really, from the church, that certain feelings were off or out of bounds. You know, good Christians don't get angry. Good Christians don't have fear. Good Christians aren't sad or disappointed. And um, <clears throat> so, anyway, I realized uh, I needed to be learn. I, had a, I was a beginner in learning how to feel, to pay attention to my feelings. Unbelievable. And uh, no, I invited them to all come to the surface uh, and pay attention to them. You know, not, no feeling was out of bounds. I don't act on all my feelings, but I need to pay attention to them so that I can process them and ask, you know, how is God coming to me? Uh, And the reason this is so crucial is because we cannot love. You cannot love well if you're not in touch with your feelings. Because Mm. how can I enter your hurt if I haven't entered my own hurt? Mm. How can I enter your disappointment if I don't even enter my own sadness and disappointment? Mm. How can I enter fear? If I haven't entered my own fear, this for me is so relevant right now for the church. We have to slow down and pay attention to our sadness and our grief around the whole race issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, the church has got to slow down. This is not a drive-by. And a lot of it has to do with us as whites feeling the pain. Mm the grief, the sorrow, the fear, the agony, the trauma of what our black brothers and sisters have been experiencing really you know, for 400 years. Amen. And our churches are implicit and have even caused some of the trauma. And so I think like this quit denying it, if the church is not able to experience and help us, you know, uh, learn to feel process our emotions how is god coming to us through it so that we can love our neighbor um well so anyway just a little oh that's good that's so good 
unless unless we know how to be in touch with that, I don't I don't see it's going to be different. Racial reconciliation is can, is going to be shallow, mm-hmm. superficial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think too. I think part of the reason it's going to be shallow is because it's the most segregated hour of the week in a place that's supposed to bring unity is our churches. And, and I think it's because for so long, like you have said, we've not, we've not addressed, we've not allowed anyone to address their own sadness, their own experiences. They just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down, thinking it'll just handle itself. And if we're not, if, you know, again, the whole idea of this experience of projecting something onto somebody else, if we're not in touch with our own anger, then we're not going to let other people be angry. That's right. That's right. So we have to be in touch with our own anger so we can listen to the stories of anger mm-hmm. and not get defensive from our brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. Mm, that's mm-hmm. good. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And Susan, to your point, the, it, the churches, I do think we send a message. You can't yeah. be angry. Yeah. You can't be sad. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You're, you're a Christian. You need to be filled with joy and for heaven's sakes, no anger. And yeah. Even, anyway. though, even though two thirds of the Psalms are laments, it's the time. Right. Right. We want to be singing laments in our churches. Yes. Um, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you last night when we had our prayer time at our church, I love that we let out with um, repentance and I'm sorry's and telling God how we have been wrong in this situation personally. Mm-hmm. And I think when we can get to the place where we see our own sorrow and our own sadness and our own failures and we receive the grace that we need, it starts, like you're saying, freeing up other people then to feel those things and we not be so offended by things. Yeah, We truly say, yes, you have sadness. Tell me about it. Yes, you are, you are sorrowful. Let me, let me feel the sorrow with you. Let me, let me stand by you while you feel that sorrow. Yeah, that's, that's profound. That's profound. Yeah. Uh, people have to be led, though, really into an emotionally healthy discipleship. Yes, they yes. They understand how to, that they're aware of their defenses. Mm. They're aware of their fear of vulnerability. They're aware of their shadows. It's deep. It's very deep. It really we're is. We're icebergs. And so emotionally healthy discipleship is about, uh, <clears throat> emotionally healthy discipleship is about going beneath the iceberg mm-hmm. of your life. And what's going on down there? Um, yeah, that's what needs to be transformed. We say Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa's in your bones, <laughs> the cells of yeah. our body. You know what uh, that reminds me of, Jerry? It <clears throat> reminds me of when people talk about generational sin. Yep. Yes. And yes. you talk about things um, that are habitual for you. And yes. uh, when <clears throat> I was in seminary, I had a professor tell me one time, you tell me your habitual sin. And I'll show you your, uh, the generations behind you that did it may have done it differently or on a different level, but it's a streamline in your family pattern and the enemy constantly will use habitual sin. It may look different in the next generation, but it is still the underlying habitual sin. And when you go back and study about the sins of the fathers, um, we did this when I was in Old Testament and we would look about the sins of the fathers. It is a very real thing. And it is not that I am, I am responsible for my, the sins of all of our fathers and those that have gone before us, but it does say, when am I going to break that? Mm -hmm. And how Mm -hmm. am I going to be the one to be in charge of saying no more in the name of Jesus, no more. And it is more than just saying in the name of Jesus, no more. It is more than that. It is a comprehensive hard work. Yes. It is hard hard work work because that means generations of, of experiencing that are coming down to you saying, here's the plan. Here's what I'm going to do to live this out. But man, it is, there's no, there's nothing easy about that. There's nothing easy about that. Right. So again, we, you know, we say you you can't change what you're not aware of. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I, so good. 
That's what I was going to say, Jerry. The picture of that iceberg, mm-hmm. I think it was on the cover of one of, one of the books, and how the tip of that iceberg is just very small, mm-hmm. and the base of it is so deep. And I literally used to say, hey, I'm a shallow person, and I like being shallow, because then I don't have to have all this in-depth pain. And I was kind of like, well, that's just who I am. I'm shallow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. my. Yeah. Well, so what about all the dysfunctionality, Katie? Can well, you yeah, deal so, with it? Right, right, right. So part of our discipleship is with people is we do a three to four generational genogram. You have to look at your family for three to, the three to four generations. Mm. And you begin to see, well, how'd your family do conflict? Or right now we were talking about right. sadness, anger, and fear. How'd your family do sadness? You know? Right. right. How'd your family do anger? Like, well, you guys, you're angry. I'll give you something to be angry about. Exactly. <laughs> My mom, I'll give you something to cry about. That's right. nothing to cry about. Well, right. But I feel sad, mom. Well, I'll give you something really to be sad. You know, and I How mean, I had great parents. I'm not dissing them in any way, shape, or I don't think they, you are. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and it's like, you know, here, just have a beer. <laughs> well, again, and so, I'm like, okay, I'll stay shallow. I'll be this party girl. And right. then. And then when I get got saved, that doesn't just stop. Right. No. You know, I got to go the problem. deep. The whole, I, right, the, yeah. right, right. The problem is, you know, yes, you know, <clears throat> um, I'm a new creature in Christ. The old has gone. The, the new is here. Um, yeah. And yes and no. <laughs> right. We're still don't in take this that out of context yeah, either. Yeah, don't yeah, just, just <laughs> right. Christ's love is given to us, and we are new. But there is a you know a, a sanctification, as they say, yeah. process yes. that uh, brings us into spiritual maturity. That's right. Man. So, um, Amen. Should I keep going? Yeah, I was yes. going to say, what's next? Okay, uh, quit. I had to quit blaming, and this was huge because. Uh, one of the reasons I think I stay, stayed stuck for so long was I kept somewhere I had picked up some kind of an unspoken message, maybe about gender roles for my family, that a, uh, once you get married, because I didn't feel this way before I got married, that once I got married, my husband was responsible for my happiness. <clears throat> mm. And so uh, when I was unhappy and things. It was Pete's. Pete's fault, right? You got frozen a little bit there, Jerry. Passing aggressively. And um, so uh, one of the, can you, can, am I okay? Yeah, you're okay now. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> uh, one of the things I realized it was no one is responsible for me but me. Yeah. No one is responsible for me but me. Actually, one of God's greatest gifts to a human being was the freedom of choice. That is one of our first and greatest gifts. And so, um, you know, pastor's not responsible. Your boss isn't responsible for your happiness. Your kids aren't responsible for your happiness, uh, et cetera. And so that was, it was so, it was such a freeing, freeing, freeing thing to not make other people responsible for my happiness, that I have choices and I have, uh, personal power and freedom through the gift of free will to make those. And so, you know, a good question for people is, you know, who are you blaming for your unhappiness? Mm-hmm. Who are you blaming for your unhappiness? Uh, because we have a place to declare boundaries. We need to use our voices. We need to use our yes and no's. We need to declare our feelings. There's lots of things that we can be doing um, to be taking responsibility for our own lives. Mm. Beautiful. Especially our voice, our voices. And there's no other mammal or creature on the earth that was given words. We were given words. And so voice is so important in, 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 in coming into your true self. And then, and then uh, quit faulty thinking, which is just huge, huge, huge. Because quit faulty thinking is about, I mean, there are hundreds of ways that people do faulty thinking. But in particular, I'm going to just things like, making assumptions. I said, if we could help the church just to not make assumptions, we would advance the kingdom of God probably 50%. 
<laughs> that's so that good. And, um, or, or taking things personally. Yes. Right? Even pay attention to your, right, just yourselves or anybody that's listening out there. Just track your mind and the stories you tell yourself. What's a story you tell yourself when someone, you text someone and they don't text you back or you email someone, they don't email you back or anybody's behavior. We actually, when they do or don't do something uh, we were expecting or assuming, we, it's, human nature is to negatively interpret. And it creates right. so many landmines That's in right. marriages, in friendships, and in the church. So sad. Oh, really so my putting faulty thinking was again another source of freedom. Uh, next, quit over functioning, which is doing for others, <laughs> doing for others, which you which can and should be. So I was I'm I'm a classic overfunctioner. I'm always in recovery for overfunctioning. <laughs> you know, my my husband, my my children, you know, people around me. Um, but at the at the core, really at the heart of overfunctioning is mm. and again, you tell me about your overfunctioning, and I will tell you about what you believe about the gospel. Tell me about your overfunctioning, and I will tell you what you believe about the gospel. Because a lot of overfunctioning is about the need for control mm-hmm. or the fear of uh, letting go, or I can do it better than someone else. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Just, you got to look at your motives when you're, you know, in the overfunction mode. Now you're overfunctioning because you have reason. Um, you're perpetuating immature and it's a lot of energy. Because then they don't have to pay attention to their own life, their own life mm-hmm. calling. I can pour it mm-hmm. into my energy into somebody else. Yeah, so. you froze when you said perpetuating immaturity in others that i was like oh i see that if you over function and do things that that they need to do for themselves what what, how are you really helping um and loving well yeah Yeah. it's very difficult to do if you're an over functioner i mean it's like getting off a a drug sometimes you know um it's scary uh, what's going to happen if I don't do this, you know, what, for my son or a daughter, will they do it? Will they follow through, mm-hmm. you know, and could their life could be ruined or whatever. <laughs> but, right. Uh, so I'll just do it. Yeah. yeah. And even when you know it's wrong, you're like, well, just this one time, you know, I'll just get them through right. this hump. Well, then there's another hump. Then there's right. another hump. And it's not even just families. I think of ministry. Um, it, so often where the paid people, are like, and, and I'm talking about myself. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody uh, on our yeah. church. I was on the church staff for years. And I'd be like, I'll just do it myself. I'm paid. I'm here. And if I trust these volunteers, it might go bad. You know, and it's over-functioning. That is not what I'm paid for. I'm paid to equip the body of Christ to do the good works of service. Yeah. And yet yeah, I'm going to over-function. And do it all yeah. myself and then not, you know, I mean, I mean, you can come and I'll tell you exactly what to do, but don't try to think because I'll do that, you know, and I don't know. Sure, I, sure. When I read that right. about over-functioning, I'm like, oh, I get it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's big. And then finally, the final one was to quit living someone else's life. And um, <clears throat> that flowed out of the fact that I had been on my husband's I mean I think I was living more his life than my life now again this is uh is uh living your lives as a married couple takes um skill and maturity you know uh to the two become one doesn't mean which one right that's good (laughs) it becomes it too so oneness is not sameness it takes great maturity uh, and skills for married couples to walk that road so that because marriage should make us more, not less ourselves. And so, um, yeah, but I do think it is easier if, again, if you're not growing in your interior life, you're not aware of what's going on inside of you, it'll be much easier to live the expectations of others. It's easier. It's easier to live the expectations of your parents, of your pastor, of your boss, of your spouse, of your adult children, um, 
of your friends. It, it takes great courage to live your own unrepeatable life. Mm. Amen. Okay. Amen. And it takes hard work to get at the bottom of that <laughs> iceberg. I mean, to, you know, to quit skipping through life going, I'm shallow and to deal with the iceberg. I mean, what's underneath. And, um, and that is what your courses offer. Um, I've, I've read your, your book, The Emotionally Healthy Woman, but I just ordered the workbook and the DVDs. And at some point, at some point, listeners, Mm -hmm. I don't know when, because we're in process of trying to organize and get a good idea, but I would love to go through the workbook Mm -hmm. um, with any of you listeners that have heard something today that has perked your interest, has, has something you want to go deeper with. We would love to offer that sometime in the future. Um, So stay tuned. Mm. Absolutely. There's just so many things, Jerry, that you've, that you've shared. And, and I, I always take notes when we have a guest and there's, there's one particular one that you can't change what you're not aware of that I circled Jerry's Cazero and circled with a whole bunch of things. And so if your ears are burning in the days to come, it's because I'm quoting you um, because it's something that, like you said, this is what we're living in right now. We can't change what we don't know about. Mm, and right. that is why education is so important. And that is why self-reflection is so important. And I think as Christ followers, it's so important to lean into what the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit is truth and he leads us into all truth. God's right. word is truth. And as we are allowing the mirror of the word to reflect into our hearts and our spirits, not trying to hide. My therapist is really good at unwrapping things that I say, but the Bible says this. And he was like, yes, Portia, the Bible does say that you should care for other people, but it also says that you're supposed to love yourself. And so I believe that there is so much freedom that you have just given to our listeners and to us as we're having this conversation with you of, I think the enemy delights no more than taking God's word and twisting it and using it as a yoke on believers and say, nope, you're not a good Christian if you fill in the blank of whatever that is. And so I am just so thankful for the, the keys that you have made available just today in our conversation. Yeah. And because Jesus came to set the oppressed free, he Amen. came to release the captives. We're freed Amen. from captivity upon salvation, but that sanctification being released from the oppression, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And that is, um, at one point you said, talking about the church, oh, with assumptions, if we would release assumptions, then we would push forward the kingdom by 50%. I don't doubt that at all because mm. we're just so bound by the negative narratives that we allow to drive our thoughts and to drive our actions. And this has just been, this has been invaluable Yeah, for me personally, listening and, and writing down notes. And I'm so thankful that um, you and your husband are doing this hard work. And thank you for saying that it's hard. Yeah. I mean, Yes, we can call on the name of Jesus and he is with us, but it is hard work to align according to his word, but we don't have to do it on our own. He does give us his strength to work through it, but I just appreciate you acknowledging not just this is the goal, but you have to work toward this goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jerry, we always ask one uh, final question to our guests. And if there is one thing that you would leave us with today, what would it be? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Proverbs four twenty three says, um, "Above all else, pay attention to your heart. That's where life begins." Mm. That's beautiful. That is mic, mic drop. Mic drop. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, can't, you can't add better words than that. Oh my goodness, Jerry. Because that, is, awareness, that awareness will lead to ongoing transformation. If you're paying attention to your heart and regularly, daily, I mean, these quits are huge. I'm so glad you're, you know, they're not going to do a book. You really need uh, support to quit these things. Um, yeah. It's scary. And yeah. I, I work every day at quitting these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I am much more free. Yeah. Man. And much so more good. in reality. And much more in reality. Because I say, we're, if you're not in reality, you're not in spirituality. Mm. Oh, mm. that's good. That's good. <laughs> Such good stuff, Jerry. It is. It is. Oh, Friends, I wish. If you are listening to this today and you know uh, someone else that needs to hear these truths, we encourage you to 
do a couple things. One is to share this episode and also get Jerry's book and um, just eat it up and dive in. And um, Katie is speaking truth that we are in the process of formulating um, different ways to connect with you guys. And one of those is using Jerry's workbooks. And so we are putting that together. We're going to get that out in the coming months um, to see what that could look like with an online community. Because we know the majority of you are not local to where we are, especially since Katie and Portia and I are in three different areas. (laughs) So uh, we are going to do it virtually so that we can connect with you guys. And we can't wait to get that information out to you all. But Jerry, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. It's such an honor. It is such an honor. You are a gift. Thank you. Thank you were you. just wonderful, okay. Jerry. I feel like I've, I've known you forever and we yeah. really have just, you know, been mm-hmm. chatting. Um, yeah. Well, thank but, you. It was delightful. You made it, you know, you made it delightful. Hmm. <laughs> oh, Even though we're, we're so talking cool. about difficult things. Yeah. Yeah, hard things. And yet we can, we can um, say them with joy and love and, and, and just with prayer that listeners mm-hmm. God connected these words to you in some way and, um, and we'll move forward together. And like yeah. Susan said, we'll have some information mm-hmm. on how maybe we can deepen mm-hmm. this particular uh, teaching. So, listeners, we love you. We thank you always for um, being with us every Friday and we cannot wait to see you again next week. Yeah. Bye. 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 We love you. Thanks again, Jerry.